Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Middle of the week, Wednesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online with you. It's supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Last day off for Brian Haydad. He will return tomorrow. I'm actually going to scoot out for a couple of days starting uh, tomorrow as well. So uh, don't want to see Haydad, and that's the best way to do it. I'm kidding. Kidding. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been doing that, financing and refinancing land and all that goes along with it for over 100 years. Look them up online. Again, the website, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Things have quieted a little bit, but there's still a lot going on. And a lot to get to with you this afternoon. We welcome your input on the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. If you want the perfect Christmas gift for everyone on your list, ceasefire has you covered. Get offers like your choice of top smartphone uh, for free with a trade-in, a free line of unlimited for a year when you switch two lines and more. You can find out all the information online at ceasefire.com. Ceasefire, customer inspired michael borky what's up oh you say things have slowed down but i feel like we're still uh pretty hot in the content world today yeah there's a lot going on isn't there this is this is supposed to be a slow season i mean i guess we have the early signing period coming up and stuff but this is that weird space between college football and then the bowl games and the NBA's not really picked up that much. I mean, we have no college basketball in Mississippi because of finals, so this is supposed to be kind of like a, you know, maybe do some off-topic stuff, talk about whatever, <laughs> and we don't really get that chance. No, and you got a bunch of basketball that's going to be played after this week in a pretty short time window. So everybody's kind of doing finals this week, a little bit lighter schedule. But look, two weeks from today, Christmas Day. So you got two weeks until Christmas Day. The early signing period begins it's December 17th, right? Yeah, I believe so. That's Is, is that right, Rippy? Does that sound right to you? I thought it was the 18th, but I could be wrong. 17th is a Monday. No. 17th is a Tuesday. Tuesday. I think it's Tuesday, December 17th. But anyway, middle of next week, early signing period in which... 75 to 80% of the guys that are out there that are going to make football commitments are going to sign. So you've got basketball coming up this weekend, Army-Navy game this weekend, Major League Baseball hot stove stuff happening. Then you get to next week being kind of a recruiting week. I believe it's December 18th. Okay. Wednesday, 18th December 18th. 20th. Yep. 
There you go. So a week from today, the beginning of the early signing period, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, then you get the weekend before Christmas. I mean, I guess on Monday, December 23rd, we'll kind of chill out a little bit and talk some bowl games and talk about what everybody wants for Christmas. We'll be off on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and then big-time bowl game stuff coming up after that. And it's going to be a lot of fun. There's really not a downtime anymore, Borky. No, there's not, especially uh, not for us. I think we do a pretty good job of having every day, every week as like a an important week as the last. Not to yeah, shoot our own so. horns or anything, but I would like to think we do a pretty good job of never having an off week. Well, and there aren't many, you know, when, when you're in a state where people are so pas- passionate about their teams, and I, I use teams plural because I'm not talking about one sport. I'm talking about... You know, obviously there's a renewed excitement surrounding Ole Miss football. And there is uh, always an excitement about baseball. And there's a new excitement about basketball at Ole Miss. And at Mississippi State, yeah, it's a pretty good basketball team. Football's got a bowl game coming up. Tons of excitement about this baseball team coming back. Women's basketball, who had a tough loss. But, I mean, you know that they're going to continue to be good. And it's just a lot going on. And it makes it fun. You know what else is fun? It's fun when the baseball team that you cheer for decides to go out and spend $324 million on a dude. Congrats. Thanks. That's what the Yankees did. Garrett Cole is a New York Yankee. Nine years, $324 million. That is an average salary of $36 million per year. Takes him till he's uh, 36 years old. Good deal or poor use of finances, Rippy? It's kind of what the market demands. If you really want a pitcher of that caliber that badly, then that's what you're going to have to pay. So I don't know if you call it bad. Garrett Cole is the runner-up for the Cy Young this past season in the American League, 20-5 and five as, a, uh, as a starter. Hard-throwing right-hander had his uh, best career ERA at 2.5. And if you're going to put together a career-best year, it's the year to do it, right, going into your unrestricted free agent season? Yep, that would be the time to do it. Unless you're Jameis and you can break an NFL record for interceptions thrown. You know, there's two ways to go about it. What was it? Somebody put a, a – I saw on Twitter a couple of days ago, Jameis Winston very much has 30-30 in play. There's never been one. A thirty touchdown, thirty interception guy. Yeah, so he could set, he could make history. Yeah, he needs one three pick game and a couple multiple pick games coming down the stretch. It's reasonable, isn't it's it? Entirely possible. I would say, I would say likely. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, it sounds like they're going to give him a new contract. Arians loves that guy. Why? Because he throws a bunch of touchdowns too. He does. And they've won a couple. Uh, I think they've won what four in a row. They're in second place in the NFC South. Really, and that Correct. hard to believe. I mean, that really just kind of shows how bad that division is outside of New Orleans. NFC South. Saints have already clinched the playoff spot at ten and three, and then you get the Bucks at six and seven. Tampa's not that bad though. They got absolutely jobbed by the schedule. Did they? Yeah, I mean, what, they had a stretch earlier in the year where they went L.A., London, Seattle, and somewhere else before going back home. 
they went Rams at Saints, Panthers at Titans at Seahawks. And the Panthers was the one in London. Yeah. A lot of travel in there. Tough for them. But if you cut the interception numbers in half, because you're never going to get rid of it with Jameis, you've actually got a pretty effective player. What's uh, what's coming up this afternoon? Alex Kirshner at Banner Society wrote a pretty interesting story explaining why Steve Air McNair's 1994 season at Alcorn State was the greatest season by a quarterback in college football history. That probably generate a little reaction. You know, another guy who is in the discussion for that is playing in one of the semifinal games, Joe Burrow. He's been that good this year. Difference in his season and Steve McNair's season, the rushing numbers and the rushing touchdowns don't go along nearly to the same extent of just those prolific passing numbers that Steve McNair put up in 1994. Uh, Chris Lowe, kind of embedded with Lane Kiffin. He was in Boca for the championship game, Conference USA championship game, in the locker room after the game, came along on the flight from Boca to Oxford on Sunday night, and then was around for the announcement on Monday. Some interesting insights that uh, maybe haven't been talked about a whole lot so far. And then an altogether different angle that Aaron Suttles takes. Aaron Suttles, who is co-host of Three Man Front on WJOX in Birmingham and also covers Alabama for The Athletic. And the angle he took is that Lane Kiffin continues to carry a grudge against Nick Saban despite all of the platitudes publicly Behind the scenes, there's a different story, and that's part of the reason that you see him trying to poach Alabama assistant coaches, including, I don't know if you guys had heard of this at all before you read the story by Aaron Suttles, approaching Scott Cochran, the Alabama strength and conditioning coach, about the possibility of an on-field assistant role at Ole Miss. Playoff expansion talk is heating up and starting to feel more real. We can only hope so. The NCAA is getting itself set, and uh, Mark Emmert said some interesting things for name, image, and likeness becoming a federal law and a whole lot more. It's a pretty good Wednesday in the middle of December. I'm excited about this one. Are you? I'm excited. This is one of the few, not, I'm always enjoying my job, but this is one of those days where I sat down in the studio after Rhino left and thought, this is about to be a really good show. We'll see. Hopefully, it will deliver. And it's not just the best laid plans. Ceasefire text line is open 601 879 4395. Ceasefire customer inspired. More coming up with you right after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Scott Rippey on this Wednesday afternoon. C Spire text line 601-879-4395. couple of things there. A very generic, what do you all think about Lane Kiffin as a head coach? Just kind of hang with us this afternoon. I think you'll get plenty of discussion about that. 
Mike in Oxford says that Ole Miss has announced a home-and-home football series with Oregon State. That is a true statement. Here's the official release. Home-and-home series with Oregon State. Beavers will travel to Oxford in 2027. And Ole Miss will make the return trip to Corvallis in 2030. It's not as far out as some of these games are, but it's not soon. Ole Miss and Oregon State have never faced each other. Um, let's see, this says the Rebels are 1-1 one one against current members of the Pac-12 with both games being against Cal. Had no idea that there was only 45 miles difference between Corvallis and Eugene. Yeah, that's got to be 0-2, right? It's 0-2. I saw both of those games. Yeah. Um, they didn't win either. I didn't know they were that close, Borky. And it's not like it's some heavily populated area that both of those towns sit in either. Yeah. How far are they from Portland? I think it's... Let's see. Maybe a couple of hours from Eugene to uh, to Portland. So future Ole Miss non-conference opponents, next year Baylor is the marquee game, added UConn as well, who next year will be playing football as an independent. In 2021, Louisville in Atlanta, Austin P. Tulane in Liberty. Then you got Virginia Tech with Borky's sons in college. 2022, Georgia Tech, Troy, Central, Arkansas, and Tulsa. 2023, Georgia Tech also on the schedule. I wonder if those will actually get played. I feel like those were originally supposed to be played in like 2004 and 2005. And they've gotten pushed back about 17 different times. Probably close enough now that it gets a little more difficult to push that back. And maybe you're less opposed to the idea of playing Georgia Tech if they're not running the triple option. I would like to go back in time and have 05 Ed go against the triple option. Think that would have been good? Probably. For Georgia Tech. 2022 and 2023, Georgia, Georgia Tech. I'm uh, sorry, Georgia Tech. 24 and 25, Wake Forest. 27 and 30, Oregon State. Virginia Tech in 2032 on the road and 2037 at home. Purdue in 33 and 34. Those are a long time off. So that's kind of what's on the horizon in terms of non conference. Uh, football matchups. Of course, Mississippi State's got uh, game one of their two-game series with NC State coming up. I think they've got both Arizona and Arizona State on the horizon as well in uh, in years to come. So it's making some West Coast trips for the Bulldogs as well. All right, so Chris Lowe, who did kind of an embed, embed, I guess I should say, with uh, with Lane Kiffin over the final couple of days that he was at FAU and then in making the transition to uh, to Ole Miss as well. Borky, I know you've read this. Uh, Rippy, I don't know if you've read all of it or not. I know you've read at least part of it. Anything stand out to you that, that kind of you hadn't heard or you hadn't seen so far from the, uh, the reporting that Chris Lowe did? I did kind of find it funny that Monty Kiffin was late to his first staff meeting. As an analyst at Ole Miss, but um, nothing that I don't think Mon- Monty Kiffin actually has a schedule. <laughs> um, probably not. But uh, there was a, a back and forth between he and Mike McIntyre in this thing, which 
Um, it's just an article. So, you know, who knows um, if this is actually how their dynamic is. But it sounds like those two have a pretty good back and forth. It's only an excerpt from one article, but there was a moment where uh, Kiffin said he doesn't want a room full of yes men. If you disagree with me, tell me you disagree with me. And then a player, uh, a recruit that they're going to visit, got brought up. And uh, McIntyre said that, uh, you know, he's really, he likes this kid. He's got a good side speed ratio or whatever. And Kiffin said, I disagree. You're fired. Get out. <laughs> Around that time, Monty Kiffin comes into the staff meeting. What time does the staff meeting start? Kiffin chirps. Monty responds, they told me 9.20. Kiffin, the son, says, well, you're late for your first staff meeting. Uh, I love that. And then you got your first look into the the team meeting that they had basically immediately after the inauguration is what I'm calling it. Because unless I'm missing something, there's been no video, no reporting about what was said or how that meeting went. I mean, you got a picture of Wilson Love like going crazy because he's one of those guys as their strength coach. But now you've at least got some kind of an image of what happened in there. And it was just one quote, but he said, I don't give an expletive whether you're a five-star or no-star. I wasn't hired to play favorites. Best players are going to play. So for whatever that's worth, you at least finally get some kind of look into that team meeting that everybody's talking about. My group message is asking me every five minutes if I know how it went for some reason. Uh, So you finally get a look into that. Wilson Love, who apparently is a high-energy guy, Chris Lowe describes him as a fiery guy and says who goes 100 miles per hour every second of every day, says to the team, I'm going to bring my all. I'm here for you. I'm going to take the door off of my office. Already got a screwdriver and everything. So there's that. It's just good. I mean, we've talked about this before, but today was a great example. I mean, you have this story out on ESPN. You have another story out on The Athletic, which is... um, Somebody from AL.com kind of refuted it, but got into some some semantics. Either way, you had a feature on ESPN, a feature on The Athletic, which is quickly becoming a very highly read source. Oh, that's very viable. And Dan Patrick, which is my favorite radio show out there, but a, a show that's syndicated on a few <clears> hundred <throat> stations. I'm sorry, what was that? What's your favorite radio show out there? <laughs> One that I'm not on myself, okay. of course. There we go. Um Uh, But, I mean, that's just today. And when is the last time Ole Miss was mentioned on a national radio show outside of the dog pee thing? It's been years. Literal years. And that happened all just today. I think he's going to be on Cowherd soon. I mean, this is Ole Miss getting talked about on a national level publicity that they have not gotten in a positive way in more than years. A very long time. And it's just getting started. Now imagine if they go and beat Baylor. Yeah, and we'll see. I mean, you know, the, the, the thing about this, there's a lot of excitement right now. And that excitement at Ole Miss is going to lead to a big bump in season ticket sales and people showing up for the spring game when the scoreboard really doesn't matter. 
And, you know, anytime there's an opportunity to hear Lane Kiffin talk or speak or do an interview, people are going to listen. But then the schedule that is the reality of 2020, I'm sorry, yeah, the 2020 season is going to arrive. My fascination largely is going to be how locked in Ole Miss fans stay despite the initial massive excitement bump with a schedule that it was always and is always going to be difficult. Baylor's playing in an access bowl. They played for the Big 12 championship game. And you play in their backyard in Houston. Certainly not going to be the home field advantage that it looked like it was going to be just a couple of weeks ago, but it certainly, but it will be a home field advantage for Baylor. I'd read about 75% of this. I just finished it. The bottom part where the strength guy is going to disassemble the door to his office is a big-time football guy move. You like that? Yeah. Yeah. Might eat the lug nuts or something. Maybe. I don't think you put lug nuts on a door, but it's okay. Sorry. Those you, are generally on tires. Didn't learn that one in a deer stand. Didn't. Um, but you, you missed that the same day you were trying to figure out whether or not four-wheel drive was on your car? Yes, that is true. I checked. It's got actually got eight wheels. I um, Kiffin seems a lot more receptive of things around him than he used to be. That was my general takeaway from this. What do you mean? Like, I mean, ball busting his parents as he gets on the plane. Like all the noticing all of the stuff once he got into the Manning Center. Uh, like the love the thirty for thirty on Chucky Mullins. I obviously I think that was an SEC film. It's not really near, here nor there, but just stuff like that. That's kind of interchangeable in most people's minds. Though. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating time. Um, and I guess where I was getting with all that ultimately is, will the excitement continue? Are people just going to stand by and say, look, we understand this schedule is going to be difficult and we understand it's a couple of years away, but we're here for the ride. We'll see. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. 4,863 passing yards, 936 rushing yardage uh, yards, 5,799 yards of total offense, the most in FCS history in a single season. Those are the numbers from 1994, Steve McNair at Alcorn State. Alex Kirshner joins us right now from Banner Society. You can follow him on Twitter at Alex underscore Kirshner. I'm fascinated, Alex, by Steve McNair. We um, we worked with um, some guys not too long ago, submitted a, a list of top ten college football players of all time. And I don't know if anybody else submitted his name, but he was one of the ten names that I put for ten best college football players of all time with no real caveats associated with it. Am I crazy for thinking that he's a top ten player ever? No, certainly not. I think that he is very much in that conversation. I think that you could make a pretty compelling case that he's the best college QB of all time. And, you know, there are obviously different ways that you could measure that, but I think that he tends to get knocked because he played uh, in FCS, I think more than the SWAC specifically, but maybe, you know, it might be a, a bias against the SWAC specifically as well. Um, but if you, you know, talk to people who were around him then um, and who have experience coaching great players at other levels, they all agree that they had really never seen anything quite like Steve McNair. Uh, and the numbers speak for themselves. 
the tape speaks for itself. So I don't think it's ridiculous at all uh, to think of him as, as one of the top 10 college football players of all time. All right, so if you were going to make the argument for Steve McNair as the best quarterback, and I don't know if you mean as a career or in a single season, you know what exactly the criteria would be, what would your argument be? I think it would be the bulk quantity of statistical excellence that he put forward at Alcorn. And, you know, you could focus in on 1994 in some ways, and in some ways you could zoom out to his entire college career there. Um, but I think, you know, you rattled off on your intro there some of the numbers. Um, they're absurd, and when you consider that um, this was in a lower-scoring era and that he was only playing in 12 games, only 11 of those uh, counting towards the record books, you know, he did some things that were really absurd and that even in an era of, you know, significantly more passing yards across the country, uh, people just don't do. I mean, he had seven 500-yard passing games out of 12 games um, in an era when that just didn't happen. And in fact, that still doesn't happen. Um, even now that you see conferences all over the country, uh, even ones that were resistant to it for a time, uh, going to the spread offense and really airing it out. Um, you know, so you can look at the numbers, you could look at, you know, anecdotal stuff, like he spent four years just destroying Jackson State, which is the school's biggest rival. Um, mm-hmm. So if you're looking for uh, kind of, you know, Heisman moment type things where you would just say, wow, this guy was really big time. He showed up in the biggest games every year. Um, and he made the entire country focus on Alcorn State football, which, you know, I don't think that that has really ever happened um and, you know, I don't think there's really any comparable moment um, to seeing that much attention on a small school since then. Uh, so, you know, he just did things uh, across the board that are very unusual and, uh, you know, that, that we haven't seen replicated since and might never. Alex Kirshner from Banner Society on your radio. Again, you can follow Alex on Twitter at Alex underscore Kirshner. The, uh, the name of the article is the people's guide to steve mcnair and he bullets out or, or numbers out a bunch of different uh kind of standout moments from steve mcnair i want to go down to number 20 um and you reference the philadelphia inquirer reporting on alcorn state sports information office as quote two student assistants a fax machine and some postage stamps close quote so let's pretend for a second that 1994 Steve McNair and Alcorn State happens in 2020. Mm-hmm. Would it be easier for him to gain traction in today's college football world, or would it be more difficult? I mean, is is there almost even more yeah. of a – I don't know that bias is the right word, but I guess that's the word I'll use, bias against the FCS and the SWAC than there's ever been, or would the season that he's – he had in 1994 because of social media and so many events on television, would it be easier to kind of elevate him in a way that maybe he wasn't even elevated then? Um, This is just sort of me guessing, but I think it might be harder for him to get traction now, uh, largely because of what we were talking about a minute ago with the eras changing and with it being more customary now um, for quarterbacks to put up absurd numbers. And, you know, it speaks to his excellence that there still are not quarterbacks doing what he did in 1994. Um, but let's say that, you know, he had similar stats because just because you adjust for era, I don't think he's suddenly going to be thrown for like 800 yards a game. He's probably still going to be thrown for, you know, 500-something yards a game. Um, I think that you might see more observers just kind of writing that off. 
um, and just assuming, oh, small school, it's FCS, the SWAC, you know, no big deal. Um, I don't think that that would be correct, but I think that it probably, given the way that uh, these things tend to go, and the the difficulty that FCS players have had since his his time at Alcorn, um, I think that it would be tough for him to get traction now. Visiting with Alex Kirshner from uh, Banner Society on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. So, Steve McNair finished third in the Heisman. Uh, Rashawn Salam from Colorado won it. Kajana Carter from Penn State finished second. Salam had a big year. He he went for over 2,000 yards. Uh, Kajana Carter's numbers were just okay. Should Steve McNair have won it that year? Uh, I think that I guess the easiest thing to say is that I think he should have finished second. And, you know, all due respect to Kajana Carter, but there's nothing about you know a 1500 some yard season uh, that I think is even comparable to what Steve did um, with these historic numbers that no one's ever matched. Um, I think that in a totally egalitarian world, McNair should have won. Um, I can understand that if you're Rashan Salam and you go over 2,000 yards for. Um, like a really fun Colorado team that, you know, does things that Colorado pretty much never does. Though in that era under Bill McCartney, they were really good. Um, and I can see why Slam won. I mean, given that the Heisman sort of has evolved into just being an award for the best QB and running back on a elite FBS team. But, um, you know, in a, in a fully just world, I think that McNair would have won the Heisman that year, yeah. All right. I mean, this is this is kind of out there because obviously it doesn't work this way. But if if Steve McNair's nineteen ninety four season could just kind of hang out in the ether, and there was no Heisman Trophy awarded immediately following that season, and then yeah. he could have his entire pro career, and people could realize, oh, it wasn't just what he was doing because the opponents were swack opponents. This is a yeah. world class player. And yeah. then you could go back and vote on it. W- yeah, would that tip the scales idea. in his favor? Yeah, I think it would work in his favor, and that's a good. Yeah, it's it's. I'm sure they'll never do it, but it's a fun idea. Um, if you're really looking for ways to um, show that the quality of competition was not what did it, um, and that you know this was extremely real, I think that you know the fact that he he was one of the great quarterbacks in that, in NFL history in an offense that didn't really care much to let its QB do anything exciting with Jeff Fisher as his coach. I think it strengthens his case. You know, it's funny, though, if if, if that became part of the criteria for the Heisman, and, I, and we're just off in fantasy land, I, I get that. It's pretty crazy how many guys, if success professionally contributed to winning the Heisman Trophy for what they did in college, how many guys would not win the Heisman Trophy? I mean, maybe Jason sure, White at the top sure. of that list. Sure. Yeah, it would certainly change things. Yeah. But then you've got certainly some guys that have, have carried over and uh, made that. Just kind of fast-forwarding, because we're talking about the Heisman, to to this year's Heisman Trophy. I don't know if you're a Heisman voter or not. Is Joe no, Burrow going to end up – I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm not, no. Uh, I vote for the uh, Davey O'Brien, which I think is tends to mirror the Heisman results pretty well, but I do not vote on the Heisman. Yeah. Is this going to be the biggest landslide victory in the history of the war award this year with Joe Burrow? It'll be up there. Uh, it'll be up there. I, you know, I think it's, it's funny that they send the number of finalists that they send to New York sort of depends on how closely the votes are clustered, but they always send at least three. Um, 
you know, it, it's nice that everybody gets to go and have a nice week in New York, but uh, I'm sure that the other the other folks who are going to make that trip um, are just enjoying their weekend in New York as they should um, without much expectation of, uh, of anything else on, on Saturday night. Yeah, pretty uh, pretty stress free for the uh, the guys not named Joe Burrow. Alex, really appreciate your time. It's always fun for us to kind of walk back down the uh, the memory lane with regard to uh, Steve McNair. Cool story, well written, and uh, and we'll certainly pass it along to all our listeners. Thanks so much. Really appreciate you guys having me on. Absolutely. That's uh, Alex Kirshner from uh, Banner Society. Again, if you want to follow him on Twitter, you can do so. It is Alex underscore Kirshner K I R S H N E R. Neat story about Steve McNair. It's called The People's Guide to Steve McNair, and it's on Banner Society. Take a quick time out. More coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Heck of a day. Go Hogs. Yes, sir. Sam Pittman, new head football coach at the University of Arkansas. I'm probably going to play that clip a lot. <laughs> I hope not. That's the most annoying clip I've heard in a long time. Is it? Yes. Particularly when you play it incessantly during the break on repeat. That was not on repeat. That was a montage that has been put together on YouTube of every offensive lineman commitment they had at Georgia. That makes it 0% better. Just one after another after another. Yes, sir! <laughs> what has Arkansas done? Can you be the coach and the mascot at the same time? I, if he sleeps on hay and inside one of those mobile cages, maybe. I don't want to just. I saw that mascot dismiss up close Sam Pittman at the uh, baseball tournament. Got a pretty sweet uh, crash pad. You saw what at the baseball tournament? The uh, the mascot for Arkansas. Yeah, poop in one corner, food in another, plenty of room. You sure that wasn't at a game in Fayetteville? That's what I said. The NCAA Super Regional. Oh, oh Super not, Regional. Not the SEC right. I thought tournament. you meant at the SEC tournament. I was like, I didn't think they brought Tusk no, no, no. to... It was, uh, it was outside their stadium. Tusk, is that right? I think that's his name, isn't it? I don't know. I hope it doesn't offend him if it's not. Yeah. Um, I'm so fascinated by this hire. And, and again, I don't want to be the guy that's just immediately like, oh, let's pile on Sam Hitt- Pittman because he's a little bit different. He does appear to be a little bit different. Um. And relatable to players and whatnot, but Arkansas had a month to do their coaching search. I had a theory on the podcast with Borky yesterday that the longer it takes, the more time you have to screw it up and overthink it. Ole Miss, remember they had, what, five months to conduct a national search a couple years ago? FSU got a head start on theirs and it turned really disorganized, though ended up with a decent candidate. Arkansas got a head start on theirs. Yeah. I just, I I had mentioned this a few weeks ago. I still can't get over the lack of effort to get a bigger name. Like, Arkansas failed to get Lane Kiffin. And, uh, I mean, he even alluded to it in his interview with Dan Patrick that there were other offers for him, but he won't say who. It was Arkansas. Arkansas wanted him, and he chose Ole Miss over Arkansas, but. Once you fail there, there are still coaches that have jobs that are worse than yours that you could have gotten, that they just chose not to pursue. It's like they went from Kiffin to panic to a stretch. 
even if he works out, it's a stretch. It's not a risk in the same way Kiffin's a risk. It's not a risk in the same way that whoever decides to hire Hugh Freeze again will be making. This is a risk in that we have no idea if this guy actually can be a coach in any capacity. It's like jumping... I'm sorry. No, not to jump in, but it's the bad hire versus uh, with theory. This is a bad hire. It could end up maybe working a little, but... mm. Charlie on the C Spire text line, why didn't Arkansas go after Freeze? I think because Greg Sankey has made it clear to everybody you're not hiring Hugh Freeze to be a head coach in the SEC right now. I think it's that clear. Do you agree, if that is what's happening, do you agree with the commissioner doing that? Well, do we know that's still happening? But do you agree with the fact that it happened at all? I know that it no. happened a year ago. Yeah, no, I, I got that. I, that seems pretty mainstream. Whether or not that is ongoing or not, I don't know. Y- yes, I, I do. Hugh Freeze was at the helm of a program that got significant NCAA probation and cost the school tens of millions of dollars. You can't you can't have him rip apart a program in the SEC and before Ole Miss is even eligible to play in a bowl game, just land on his feet to the tune of four or five million dollars leading another program as if none of those things actually happened. But he's not not directly doing that. Do what? No, he's not that's not directly happening though. He's what? at liberty now. No, I understand. You can't control him going somewhere else. I got that. But if like, you're the commissioner of the SEC, you can say... out and back in? Maybe eventually. But I think that he's decided that it's not going to be in year one or year two. Um, somebody said that uh, keep the yes sir coming. This may be an Arkansas fan. He says, keep it coming, Richard Rippey's a hater. Yes, sir! Then he says, I want to see him holding that hog in a sweater like he does in the videos with Ugga, the bulldog. Yes, sir! (laughs) One hour in the books. More coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Yes, sir! Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm on Wednesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Hey, Dad, we'll return tomorrow. We're glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, you can find them at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got your mindset on building a dream house in the country or buying a piece of recreational property and you're in North Mississippi, don't make that purchase. Don't launch into that project without talking to the folks at Mississippi Land Bank. They can help you. Uh, they understand the complexity of doing a, a different type of loan for house construction uh, combined with the purchase of land or buying a piece of property for hunting or fishing or just a spot to get away. Let them work with you. They also kind of have their finger on the pulse of what's going on in terms of land that might be available for sale. Give them a call or stop by one of their branch locations in North Mississippi. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land.
JT will be on the road again on Friday. That's right, coming up on Friday. You can catch the JT Show at Corner Market Food Store in Midtown Hattiesburg for the annual Corner Market Super Talk Mississippi Children's Toy and Food Drive. It will benefit Homes for Hope and Batson Children's Hospital. You can drop off your toy or canned food donation at the Corner Market on Friday and pick up some cool Super Talk Mississippi gear, special event to help kids in need. So please make your plans to come by and see JT and I guess Rhino as well. And uh, don't forget to bring a toy or a canned food item. Christmas Drive this year is sponsored by Corner Market Food Stores, the Citizens Bank, Warren and Warren Asphalt, and Bach Homa Casino. So let's talk Mississippi State's bowl game a little. As yeah, you got basically a month. Well, not quite a month. Three weeks or so to uh, to get ready for that game. If you're a Mississippi State fan, and outside of college football playoff games, bowl season is an exhibition, right? I mean, it's it's a lucrative exhibition, and we love to talk about the tradition that goes along with college football and the pageantry of bowl games. You know, the Tournament of Roses parade and the history of the Sugar Bowl and all those things. But in reality, unless you are playing in one of the two semifinal games or the national championship game, it's an exhibition. And so with that being the case, and and I know none of us really are excited about that idea because, you know, hey, if you're a nine-win team, it's a chance to get to a 10-win season. I've heard that several times in recent years with Ole Miss. You know, it's a chance to jumpstart your following season. Sometimes that's true. But generally speaking, the outcome of bowl games isn't necessarily that important. Is that the case this year for Mississippi State, though? It feels it, like this one's different, doesn't it? Why do you say that? Because even with an Egg Bowl win, I, I still think that, one, Joe Moorhead needs to earn favor with his fan base. It's a group of people that think that he has largely underachieved. And even with that Egg Bowl win, there was still some of the, I mean, you heard it, the they-can-go-pound-sand type stuff. Just hasn't done a great job of earning favor with the fan base. And even with the Egg Bowl win... I mean, it's all we've been able to talk about the last couple of weeks. All of the momentum, at least on the surface, uh, is in Ole Miss's favor, even though they lost the Egg Bowl. And so you have a fan base that is still, the jury is still out on you because just winning that game wasn't enough for them. They think you've underachieved. Ole Miss hired this edgy coach that everybody knows and stuff and – you were about to fire yours if he didn't win the Egg Bowl, and you've got to do something to show forward momentum. And beating Ole Miss is good. Winning the Egg Bowl is good. Winning a bowl game would help curry some favor within within your own fan base because going from eight and four, eight and five, with the number one defense in college football to a technically losing season would just continue to give people reason to check out or not 
support you. And I don't know how much a win does, but I think a loss would just continue to push that snowball down the hill. Hmm. I, I mean, I think, I don't have the best pulse on it, but I feel like the momentum from winning an Egg Bowl is gone. And it probably never really existed in the first place. Because you remember leading up to that game, Rippy, you were in the press box and you heard the conversations going on. People were literally talking out loud on Twitter, on message boards, and media people out loud, no matter what happens in this game, he's losing his job. Yeah, I mean, between that and staring at Rich Rodriguez, that was the two teams of the night. (laughs) So it's a unique situation because in the past... Beating Ole Miss and going to bowl games was enough, and that's what he's done. I mean, historically, eight and five and six and six with two wins over Ole Miss would get you a statue there. But people just wouldn't for a wouldn't Gorky, wouldn't the counter to that to be though that I believe in the initial report that decided that he was coming back in twenty twenty was they were pleased with the initial progress and in the win over Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl. Don't I have that right? That I, I'm more talking about the fan base and not certain power players within the university. Well, isn't that where the disconnect is? It's a big disconnect, but yes. Interesting. I'll say this. You know, the, the, there are... I think there's too much of the, hey, Ole Miss, hey, Mississippi State, nah, just stay in your lane. You get to a bowl game every year, you got nothing to complain about. You know, you win six or seven... Be thankful for an eight-win season. Anything more than that, I mean, it's historically good. J- just stay in your lane where you're supposed to be. That would be easier to shirk if it were a fair sport like the National Football League or something. I understand that. But fans wanting more after they have seen that more is possible is... I don't think there's anything wrong with that you got to be a little realistic. I don't think that you can expect at Mississippi State or at Ole Miss. We've talked about this. You know, what are reasonable expectations? We've talked about it a lot over a long period of time. And expecting either Mississippi State, if you're a Bulldog fan, or Ole Miss, if you're a Rebels fan, to be a top 10 program year in, year out, or a top 10 team year in, year out, that's probably misplaced. But expecting your team to be competitive and to get to bowl games just about every season and to have a few years where you jump up. And, and to, to me, and I wish Haydad was here for us to talk a little bit about this from a, a different perspective as well, I think the biggest disconnect for Mississippi State fans right now, and if you're a Bulldog fan, cor- correct me if I'm wrong, on the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. I think most people can get on board with the idea that, yeah, you win seven or eight most years, then you jump up and have a nine or a ten win season every now and then. That's probably what it's supposed to look like. But the issue for most Mississippi State fans is the belief was last year was supposed to be one of those jump up and win nine or ten in the regular season. And even if you don't win the West, be in the conversation in mid-November and get to an elite bowl game. 
and give people a lot to be excited about. And because those opportunities to win 9 or 10 and compete for a a division championship are kind of few and far between, it stings all the more when you miss an opportunity. Yeah, but the odds of the guy that replaces the best school and pro- I mean, the best coach in program history winning at the same level are pretty minuscule. They are. And that's kind of where this conversation becomes so difficult. But, and the thing is, man, it's not even just that they went eight and five and six and six. It's how they've looked going six and six and how they've looked going eight and five. I mean, non competitive from the jump against competent opponents. All of the competent opponents, non-competitive from the jump. Bill has um, sent us a couple of messages today. Bill's a longtime listener to the show, and we appreciate that. But he's taken issue with a couple of things that I've said today. On the uh, Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed, you can send us a tweet there if you'd like, at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. He took some exception with some of my comments about Sam Pittman as the head coach of Arkansas. We'll get to that. And also, with some of what we're saying about Joe Moorhead. And I'll address both of those. I, I promise I'll shoot straight with you when we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. So delightful. Sports Talk Mississippi and Twitter feed at no Sports Talk MISS. This is uh, Steven. Um. Most Mississippi State fans are and were unrealistic about expectations both both last year and this past year for Moorhead. In my opinion, Moorhead overcame extreme obstacles, suspensions, injury to his quarterback to get us where we are this year. Hashtag Hale State. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I, I guess I would need to know, Stephen, what your expectations were for this season. That defense was so good last year that a functional offense and Mississippi State wins 10 games. Right, with a functional offense, they beat Florida and Starkville. Yeah, they got popped pretty good by Kentucky. And that was a good Kentucky team. But Mississippi State was not good offensively in that game. No, and it was close, and Kentucky ran away with that thing late. Yeah, it was two to late the... touchdowns, wasn't it? It was. It was 14-7 to late fourth quarter. And there were some missed opportunities to that game. So, I don't know that I agree with you with regard to last season. If you were somebody that thought Mississippi State should have, going into this season, should win this past season, 2019, should have been in the 9-10 win category, then yes, I would say in, in that scenario you had misplaced expectations. Yeah, they just lost too many guys on that defense. I mean, it, there was always going to be a drop-off when you lose that kind of talent. It wasn't just the three guys either. I mean, it was their entire defensive line. And the most, and the most prolific rushing quarterback in SEC history, Nick Fitzgerald. Yeah, there was going to be a drop-off. I talk to my neighbor a lot. He's a good guy, huge Mississippi State fan. And he. I think his issue is the one I said the segment before and the one that I think most people have. It's not that they went 6-6, six and six, it's how. Just with the yeah. exception of Kentucky, it, sloppy, 
mistake football, lacking offense, completely out of games from the snap of the football. Auburn, Alabama, LSU, I mean, honestly, Kansas State, they, they did not play well at the beginning. Kentucky's the only game where they got off to a decent start, and it kind of helped that Sawyer Smith was shot putting the football from the pocket. Yeah. That's the difference. All right, so let's go to Bill's tweets. He sent a couple of them. And as I said, Bill's been a long-time listener. I love his avatar picture. He was, a uh, in addition to being a tight end at, uh, at Northeast Mississippi Community College, straight on toe kicker and used the laces of his cleats to tie his toe up. That is old school. All right, so here's what he said about the uh, Sam Pittman take, which really wasn't much of a take. I was having fun with the yes, sir. I don't want to pile on too early on Sam Pittman because we'll see. But it's not one that gives you warm and fuzzies on the day he's announced or the the following days. He says, I don't think you're giving the new coach at Arkansas enough credit. I mean, is that all you know about the dude, is that he's an offensive line coach and maybe a good recruiter? In some circles, he is as big a name as Kiffin. Don't have to be an OC to become a big-name coach. All right, there are like four things I disagree with there, Bill. Um, First of all, he's not maybe a good recruiter. He has a reputation for being an outstanding recruiter, especially of offensive linemen. So feather in the cap there. And he may be a great dude. The idea that in some circles he's as big a name as Kiffin, I mean, the only circle that that's really the case, if we're being honest, is when his family circles around the Thanksgiving Day table. I agree with you that you don't have to be an offensive coordinator to become a big-name coach. Dabo Sweeney. But you have to become a big-name coach if you're not a kind of a sexy offensive or defensive coordinator whose name's been floating around out there for a while, then you're not a big-name coach when you get the job. you gotta, you got to win your way into being a big-name coach. So that's all the Sam Pittman stuff. And then he also said, we were talking some about Mississippi State, he says, Bill does, most people don't believe any media reports just like you really don't know whether Moorhead was getting fired, win or lose, more than I do. Now, that's a fact. I, I mean, I kind of agree with what you're saying. Well, there weren't any actual mainstream traditional media reports that he was being fired regardless. Yeah, no, but I talked to somebody who was writing one of the checks to fund the buyout. I said, hold on, uh, that's not entirely accurate. I am very close to someone who had that conversation. So now it's like two degrees of separation, so maybe if you want to discount that, whatever. I'm not. I'm just, he's saying. No, no not you. I was saying uh, just kind of in general. Uh, Miles, let's stick with Twitter for a minute. In his presser, Kiffin talked about building the roster for continued sustained success and not chasing stars on recruits just to get a recruiting ranking. Is this the same thing Moorhead has been talking about, or am I wrong? I'd say there's some similarities there. I mean, Joe Moorhead has talked about the fact that it is a process. I do think that when you're talking about an offensive mind that has the reputation that Joe Moorhead has, and make no mistake, I don't care if you're frustrated with his offense or not, in college football coaching circles, Joe Moorhead has an outstanding reputation 
as an offensive mind. That's not debatable. So I do think that um, the idea of building toward it, it takes time. You got to be frustrated with him not, for being a guy that has that type of an offensive mind and has that reputation for not adapting and getting some things a little more proficient offensively over the course of the first two seasons. Is that fair? It's absolutely fair. But in terms of trying to build a roster, I mean, yeah, there's similarities there. I think everybody to a certain degree is doing that. I thought what Lane Kiffin said about the recruiting philosophy, we want to fill the top of the class with four- and five-star guys, but we want to fill the rest of the class with guys that we're going to develop. You can't just be top-heavy with a bunch of junk that you don't do anything else with. No one, no uh, disrespect intended to, when I say a bunch of junk, but you get what I mean. Yeah, he said something that I don't think he was taking a shot. I think it, it he was just speaking truth, and it actually happened at Ole Miss. He said basically what the 2013 class was for Ole Miss. He said, we want a class that has a handful of five stars that make it look really good when in reality it's not. It's a good class because of a few guys. There was zero depth there. Yeah. Yeah. And he'll be Stevens able says to... Kentucky, Arkansas, and Ole Miss are the three games where most or all of the suspended players played for Mississippi State, the three games they looked the best in. That's true. But how much do you weigh that with Arkansas being awful, Ole Miss being very bad, and Kentucky having a backup quarterback with one arm or whatever? What was Which is why it made sense to play those guys in those games. Give you the best chance to win. I think most of them played against Tennessee also, didn't they? Just didn't play very well that night. Yeah, but... Um, how about this tweet? Just kind of su- summing up lots of different stuff happening in the coaching world. A great big old circle here. FAU head coach to Ole Miss head coach. Ole Miss head coach to Georgia offensive line coach. Georgia offensive line coach to Arkansas head coach. Arkansas head coach to Auburn offensive coordinator. Auburn offensive coordinator to FSU offensive coordinator. FSU head coach to FAU head coach. Beautiful. That's Matt Smith from Southern Pigskin, connecting the dots there. That's like a Kevin Bacon game, isn't it? He should have slipped in a fake dog pee in there. All right, so Lane Kiffin goes Florida Atlantic to Ole Miss. Matt Luke goes Ole Miss to Georgia offensive line. Sam Pittman goes Georgia offensive line to Arkansas head coach. Chad Morris goes Arkansas head coach to Auburn offensive coordinator. Auburn offensive coordinator, who was that? That's headed to Florida State. I can't remember there. And then Willie Taggart, Florida State head coach, will fill the spot that was vacated by Lane Kiffin at FAU. You want to be a college football coach? Just figure out how to get in. And the NFL even more so than college. Because once you get in, it's just kind of a shell game just moving pieces around you can stay in for a really long time if you're a functional college football coach 
Not a bad way to make a living if you don't mind moving a lot and dealing with some criticism along the way. Sports Talk Mississippi, and you love to recruit. In the Renaissance Bank studio with you, Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Say hello to friends you know. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross and uh, Michael Borky and Brian Scott Rippey with you. So, Borky, I told you I was going to sneak away for a couple of days. So, Jane and I are going on a trip. Uh, we're going to go to Colorado. And I was just looking Leaving at the Leaving the kids weather. behind. We are. Yeah. Um, my mom nice. and Jane's parents are uh, helping out with kids. And it would be nice to just kind of unplug for a couple of days. I was so, going to say, if you needed a babysitter, holler. Oh, thanks. Yeah, you're local. I'll, I'll be sure to put your number on the emergency contact list. <laughs> Oh, potty train, right? Uh, Francis is close. I'm out. Could you imagine, Richard, if you had Rippy babysit your three kids? Um, that would be the greatest video content we could ever produce. I think he probably would let them watch a lot of television. <laughs> no, nah, we'd have arts and crafts, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, I think you would be capable of... It's a nice thing you've said in a while. Yeah. I'm really mostly thinking about the fact that my two older kids don't have to have that much. They can kind of handle themselves. I'm not sure you and Francis would G-Haul the whole time. Maybe. She's cool. Anyway, I was just looking at the weather forecast. Five to ten inches of snow locally with up to 12. Uh, I'm sorry, five to ten inches with locally higher amounts up to 12 inches. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. Manufactured snow is the worst. That is awesome. If you call it powder, you'll be the coolest guy on the slope, so a little tip. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we've got some good powder today. (laughs) Do you have a good powder experience? I would do that accent that you get Tate at rolling, but he's not here, so I'm going to save it. It was fine. I'd only been once. I had to go to ski school, which wasn't my favorite, but it was okay. You a skier, Borky? I wouldn't call myself a skier, but I've been a handful of times. But that was mostly on manufactured snow. Like the mountains in on the East Coast, the Appalachian Mountains, I mean, in the winter you'll get some good snow, but a, a lot of times these, these ski slopes will have snow machines, and it's just not as good. It just turns into ice. I think in the Rockies they – they blow snow early in the season to try and kind of get a base, and then you hope that they don't have to shortly after that. I guess. You want to be a part of the conversation, you can on the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Kelso in Ocean Springs. Hey, Cross, nice pick with Maryland. Over Penn State. You had a quite a couple upsets last night. I didn't. I picked Maryland over Penn State. No, I know. Penn State won. Louisville went down. They did. First loss of the year. Texas, Texas, Texas Tech, Tech is, in the Garden. Good. They just got to get healthy. Uh, Josh says BSR babysitting could churn a spinoff of Mr. Nanny. What is Mr. Nanny? I don't know, Mr. Nanny. I, mean, I remember Mr. Mom. A, uh, Mr. Nanny is a movie with um, Hulk Hogan. Not, 
The similarities between Rippy and Hulk Hogan are just unending. Uh, it was a 1993 film, so Rippy did not exist yet, but uh, the plot is Sean Armstrong, played by Hulk Hogan, is a former wrestler living in Palm Beach, Florida, and suffering from Wrestler Day's nightmares, whatever that is, and uh, he becomes a nanny for two misbehaving kids. Yeah. Uh, John and Hardiman. Do y'all know who the new University of Memphis head coach uh, is? Is he a good coach? Well, don't know who he is yet because they haven't announced one yet, John. Um, There are a bunch of names floating around. The interim head coach sounds like a guy that's that's got a shot. Silver, is it Silverhead? I don't think that's right. Silver something. And has been on Mike Norvell's staff. And that may be the route that Memphis, it makes the most sense for them to go. I mean, it's worked for the playoff teams. Have you noticed that, by the way? Silverfield. Silverfield. What's that, Borgie? The college football playoff coaches. Dabo Sweeney was the interim head coach. He was the wide receivers coach under Tommy Bowden, was promoted after his interim year. Ryan Day was on Urban Meyer's staff, was promoted after an interim year. Lincoln Riley was on Bob Stoops' staff, was promoted after Bob Stoops left at Orgeron. I mean... Nick Saban, oh, well, they're not in this year. Isn't that more (laughs) evidence than anything that the big major blue blood programs basically run themselves as long as you don't run it into the ground? That's exactly what that means and. Just kind of shows what you talk about kind of frequently, right? Is that there's only so much you can do. But that's the thing with LSU, right? I mean, Ed Orgeron gets a ton of credit and he deserves every ounce of it. But I've been saying for five years since I've been on these airwaves that LSU as a program is equipped and should be on the exact same level as Ohio State and Alabama and now Clemson competing for national championships every single year. All they needed was competence at the top to get that done. As great as Les Miles was, the last few years of his coaching career were not reflective of what the program should have been. It's not a difficult job at all. It's one that should be competing, should be this good every other year. But can you ask for that every other year? In a state that produces more high-level talent per capita than any other state, not named Washington, D.C., then yeah. Maybe. It's just hard to get to that level and stay at that level. Yeah, there's going to be some natural drop-off. I mean, Nick Saban's the... I mean, is he the greatest coach of all time? This is probably the best dynasty run of all time, and they just went 10-2, and so... They should at least belong up there. These eight and four seasons that they were having and not surprised that they were having those seasons should never happen there. Do you guys know the President's Cup just got started? Yeah, no Phil. In the opening matches? Or period. He's not on the team. team. Yeah, he tweeted a video of himself wearing an American flag onesie with his that the legs pulled up so you could see his calves and he was drinking out of a trophy. 
Good for Phil. He understands his audience on social media, I think. He's the best. I actually think he understands so little about social media, he uses it better than most. That's my theory on Phil. Oh, yeah? Kind of an underwhelming roster. Like, when you take Europe out of the equation, you're not as connected with all of these guys. Plenty of good players, but like... Do you think that's why the United States has been so good in the President's Cup as opposed to the Ryder Cup? Well, I think that's a number... Well, yeah, partially, but just... I mean, that didn't mean those guys aren't good. It just lacks the luster. Like, yeah. Abraham Answer, C.T. Pan. Who? I mean, C.T. Pan, I recognize. Yeah. Uh, Honest Abe, I'm not as familiar with. Our guy, uh, Sungjae, is on the international team. Good for him. Adam Hadwin. I mean, think about Leishman. the job that we've done launching his career. Yep. He remembered us for a while. You don't think he does anymore? No, I tried at the... Sanderson this year. Completely blew you off? No, he just waved as if he didn't know who I was. I even did the chipping motion. <laughs> did you, like, try to help him remember who you were? Hey, Sung Jay, really enjoyed playing with you at the Pro-Am in Oxford a couple of years ago. I think he's got a different caddy since then, which didn't help either. Mm. Kind of looks cold in Australia. Patrick Reed's on the image rehab tour. He gave a ball to a kid today. I thought December was summertime in Australia. There's Sung Jay. First time I've ever seen him without the, uh, what is it, the little South Korea marketing company that all the South Korean golfers wear? Yeah, whatever. I know the logo. Yeah. Um, Mark Emmert in the news today. We will get to this coming up. I'm going to take a few minutes on this. But Mark Emmert has maybe, kind of, admitted in a thinly veiled way that the NCAA is going to be rendered powerless in the name, image, and likeness debate. We will get into that with you when we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you. Sports Talk Mississippi, Wednesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Scott Rippey. Mark Emmert, in a forum sponsored by Sports Business Journal, said he is spending most of his time trying to figure out how the NCAA and its hundreds of member schools will allow college athletes to get compensation under the auspices of amateur athletics and is also spending a lot of time in Washington, D.C., meeting with lawmakers, often with university presidents and other representatives from individual schools. Mark Emmert said earlier today it is, quote, highly probable, close quote, that federal legislation will be passed that sets national guidelines for how college athletes can be compensated for the use of their names, images, and likenesses. A quote from Emmert, talking about members of Congress. They want to hear from their home universities. Members of Congress care about college sports. They recognize how important it is to American society. They don't want to do harm. They want to make it better. But it's going to be a long road. It's not going to be something that happens overnight. Story from AP says a federal law would eliminate 
that potential problem, but the NCAA wants a say in what that looks like. He talked at length at this thing about how he's afraid that this will turn over into employee-employer relationships and talked about unionization and how we can't have that. Almost kind of fear-mongering, sending a message to these people on the federal lawmaking side that, you know, slippery slope and all of that good stuff. Another quote from Emmert, if you had a completely unfettered sponsorship model like some state bills are anticipating, the nature of that can slide very quickly into an employee-employer relationship. Isn't there, isn't there kind of an old phrase that goes something along the lines of it takes a BSer to spot a BSer? <laughs> and Washington, D.C., whew! Got a few of them, right? Yeah, they'll see right through that, and they'll pass whatever they feel like will get them the most positive press. Well, and it's all—it's already kind of clear that lawmakers, whether it's at the state level or the federal level, don't really care what Mark Emmert and the NCAA think. And and for the idea to be there that the NCAA wants a say in what this looks like, haven't they had ample opportunity to have a say in what it looks like by getting off their lazy rear ends and changing the model to avoid all this? but instead have spent all of their time fighting at every single turn against compensating players? It's almost like you've kind of forfeited your right to have a say in what it looks like. Oh, for sure. And it's almost as if they're protecting their own wallets. I guess the the biggest, if you're listening, asking why is this important, I, I think I brought this to you guys because this working group thing by 2021 that they were talking about, they'll figure it out and we'll come up with a model that's consistent with amateurism. That's going to be a waste of time because now lawmakers are going to decide what college athletes will and will not get. Whether you agree or disagree with them getting more or less or scholarship should be enough or not, Mitt Romney and company are going to decide what's right and what's not. Not. Senator Chris Murphy and Senator Mitt Romney announced the formation of a bipartisan congressional working group on the topic of athlete compensation last week. They will decide what happens in college sports moving forward. The issue gained urgency in California when the state of California put in a law that will give college athletes the right to make money off things like endorsement deals and promoting businesses or products on their social media accounts. That law doesn't go into effect, though, until 2023. But since then, more than 20 states have moved on similar legislation, with some states saying they will have new laws in place as soon as next year. And that, of course, would make it almost impossible for the NCAA to operate with consistent rules for all of its members. Here's a quote from Greg Sankey. This is an issue bigger than the NCAA. This is an issue bigger than an NCAA group. Where we're going to head, I hope, is not simply a political discussion, but a thoughtful and informative conversation about how best to support student-athletes. Did I do anything for you? No, I was distracted. Sorry, I was laughing at Apparently there are no cameras on number two at Royal Melbourne. 
I don't know if that's being literally or not, but they haven't shown in the second match, and there's only two matches on the course. And the second match features, you know, Tiger Woods. The playing captain. Sung Jay just made an eagle on number one. It's a good start for Chipped uh, it in. Who'd young Sung J.M. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio just getting started. I'm sorry, just wrapping up the 4 o'clock hour. We're about to get started with the 5 o'clock hour and the college football fix in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi, Wednesday afternoon, rolling into the 5 o'clock hour. Sports Talk presented every day by Mississippi Land Bank, online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. So if you're a farmer in North Mississippi and you've got equipment needs, need to buy a new tractor, combine, cotton picker, sprayer, other equipment for the farm, or maybe you need to get a production loan or refinance an existing loan, or maybe it's time to buy some new property, let Mississippi Land Bank help you. They understand the business, and they are happy to work with you. Be honored even to work with you. Great people at Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Ceasefire text line is open. 601-879-4395 is the number. The Ceasefire Tech Movement is moving our region forward through teaching and technology that strengthens our economy, positions it for success in today's digital age, and improves the quality of life in our communities. Join the movement today at ceasefire.com slash tech mvmt ceasefire customer inspired time right now for the college football fix college football fix is driven by ford and your local mississippi ford dealers log on to buyfordnow.com Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough and stop by your local Mississippi Ford dealer. They've got great year-end savings happening right now up to 20% off MSRP. You can test drive an F-150 or maybe the Explorer or the Expedition. Get a great deal on a Ford truck or an SUV at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Scott Rippey with you. So today for the College Football Fix, Borky, you say a question. Yeah, listened to a couple of radio shows outside of the state this morning and saw a couple of college football guys, reporters, whatever, on Twitter say that, you know, this expansion talk is kind of silly because if you look at the playoff this year, it's a perfect reason why we don't need to expand. You really have three, four teams that are above everybody else. It is pretty clear that Ohio State, Clemson, LSU, and Oklahoma – are better than whoever ended up at number five. And so why would you expand the playoff when there's really only three slash four deserving teams? So my question to you is, does this year and the way it shook out, being an obvious gap between the playoff teams and not, change what you think about expansion the way it has these other guys? Do you think that you know maybe we should cool it on expanding to eight because there's clearly only a handful of teams that actually are good enough to win a national title, has that affected the way you look at playoff expansion at all? It doesn't me. Because nope. I like the idea of giving everybody a chance. And you, I mean, stuff can happen in a game. 
Yeah, and someone makes this argument every year. Like, I know this year the circumstances were probably more ripe to squat on that take, but, like, someone makes this argument pretty much every year that's anti-expansion. It's like, y'all really want more of this? Because someone got blown out in a conference title game, whereas Baylor lost twice this year to Oklahoma on an inexplicable choke and then almost won with a third-string quarterback. And both of them came to a team in the playoffs. You don't think they could – I'm not saying they deserve a crack at it because they lost the same team twice, but you don't think they could be in the mix for it? My biggest counter-argument to them would be, look at Auburn. Auburn had LSU on the ropes for four quarters, man. And that is an Auburn team that probably is better equipped now to beat an LSU than they were when they played. If I agree with that, but that, that, isn't that underscoring my point? There's more exactly. teams out there yes. than you want to let on. Yeah, I meant my counter-argument to the people that... Yeah, no, no, I'm I'm with you. So apparently I'm now a sitting Power 5 Athletics Director, and I was in New York the last couple of days. Ross Dellinger at Sports Illustrated from the National Football Foundation reported this. A Power 5 Athletics Director in New York this week said a specific eight-team playoff model is circulating around the college football world that would incorporate bowls, including a bowl-sponsored national championship game. The model? Five automatic bids for Power 5 champions, two at-large bids, and one group of five team. Have you heard that anywhere before? It's a very creative concept. It's a model that I've been trumpeting for three years now. It's a real playoff-ish. How could you create... What would that look like this year? LSU SEC champ. Ohio State out of the Big Ten. Clemson out of the ACC. Oklahoma out of the Big 12. And Oregon out of the Pac-12. Those are your five Power Five champions. Memphis is the highest ranked group of five team. They would be in. And this year, based on the college football playoff rankings, the two at-large teams would be Georgia and Baylor. Baylor just edging out Wisconsin in the final poll. Is there any way to create a wild card ish system? How so? To where there's no at large teams? I don't know. Maybe this is the closest they can get going off these rankings and this committee and these people. But I just I don't think there's any way that you're going to get presidents and athletics directors and conference commissioners to sign off on something where everybody's not guaranteed a representative. Because part of the problem is the Pac-12 is sitting in the cold once again. And the group of five has no opportunity to play for a national championship. They'd have one representative. I'm talking about for the wild, like for the at-large bids, is there some sort of wild card system that could be implemented or anywhere close to it? What I, I don't understand what you're saying. The NFL, you have the division winners, yes. which the equivalent of that would be conference champions. Right. And then you have two wild card teams. Which are next best records. Is there any quarter, yeah, is there any way to create some sort of metric that's non subjective for the at large bids? Like make them non at large because you qualified somehow. I'm not saying there is, I'm asking. Well, I mean the two at large bids would be based on the final college football playoff rankings. But that's people sitting in a room, and that's based on judges and human people and brains. Could you bring the BCS back for the athletes? You want to go to the BCS formula for the last two spots? I'm not saying I want to. Would that make any sense? Yes, possibly. I feel like they like their committee, though. 
go back to a computer ranking model? I'm sure they like their committee because for a number of different reasons. But if you made the, if you made none of this subjective and made it an actual playoff, is there a way to do that? Let's see college football Sagarin rankings for the most recent year, 2019. Just curious, because that's a computer model ranking. Um, you would have Georgia and Wisconsin instead of Georgia and Baylor as the two at large. If you use Sagarin, yeah, you can look at the Massey polar, uh, yeah, yeah, whatever. If you want to combine a bunch of those different computer models to come up with two at large. So the the only difference in in this suggestion that Ross Dellinger had from a Power 5 AD in New York this week and what I've said, I've said let the first-round games be on campus. So the top four seeds, which would be LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and Oklahoma, they get home games. And then you seed the thing one through eight. So this year you'd have LSU as the one seed, Ohio State as the two, Clemson as the three, Oklahoma as the four, based on the college football playoff rankings. Where were they? Um, Oregon would not be the five. I guess Georgia would be the five. Is that right? Sorry, I had that. There it is. Uh, Yeah, Georgia would be the five seed. The sixth seed would be Oregon. Wait, that didn't count. Though. Baylor would be the seven, and Memphis would be the eight. So if we're just using the the current college football rankings to seed the eight teams that are in. Oh, I was saying just use it for the at For the two at large. I understand that, but you still got to seed them one through eight to get your matchups. So that would mean LSU-Memphis, Ohio State-Baylor, Clemson, Oregon, and Oklahoma, Georgia. So LSU would host Memphis, Ohio State would host Baylor, Clemson would host Oregon, and Oklahoma would host Georgia, if you did the home site thing. Now, it sounds like they're wanting to incorporate bowl games. So maybe that means... You know, LSU Memphis is in the Sugar Bowl, Ohio State Baylor is in the Rose Bowl, Clemson Oregon's in the Orange Bowl, and Oklahoma Georgia is in the Fiesta Bowl. And then you have the Peach Bowl and I don't know, the the Capital One Bowl is semifinal spots, and then you have a standalone national championship game. I, I don't know. I think it'd be fun, though. I'd be on board for those matchups. It's your college football fix in the Renaissance Bank studio. Orky, I found the picture you were talking about, the uh, Phil Mickelson deal. American flag hoodie onesie pulled up to the knees to expose the calves and drinking from the President's Cup trophy from years gone by. Has anybody done a bigger heel turn with the general sports fan public than Phil Mickelson? I remember when I was like the only person that was a fan of his, and now everybody likes him, all because of Twitter. I feel like it came on before Twitter. I always thought his Phil was pretty likable. 
almost irrationally because, you know, a little insider trading here or there. <laughs> I mean, here, here his, and there. Yeah, his name is, uh, Fig, I mean, his Twitter nickname is Fig Jam, but people, like. I mean, he was yeah. exonerated from that, right? So, you know. Was he exonerated or did he have to pay a fine? I just don't. Th I think he was not the one they wanted it to get. But. Um. Ceasefire text line 601 879 4395. Continuing the college football playoff expansion discussion. Are they scared a three to four loss team winning the championship will be bad business as far as ratings go? Hey, man, maybe. I mean, there are people who are like, oh, you can't have a three loss team win it all. Well, why not? Why can't you? If you're talking ratings, it depends on who that three or four loss championship team is. Like, if it's Boise State, then no, they don't want that at all. But if it's Alabama with three losses, then the rating number would be just fine. It's more driven by brand than it is the team's prowess. Like, the NFL has wild... I mean, the New York Giants. I mean, that was a wild card team that won a Super Bowl. They were pumped that a team from New York was in the Super Bowl, regardless of record. Yeah, exactly. Like... It's like asking if a 10-6 and six team shouldn't win the Super Bowl. But the only and, way you would get a three- or four-loss team in there is if it was in a strange year where they got to their conference championship game and then won it. Yeah, and that never happens. Like I saw, I, I think it was Barrett Sully. I've been kind of hard on him lately, but he's been killing me. Something like, well, what happens when a team like Virginia beats Clemson? Well, they're not going to. They, they don't beat Clemson. That's the point. Like You don't have to worry about that. That has never happened. Will ask a question. He says, if you pick one group of five, would anybody outside the American really have a shot? Boise State. I mean, I, that's what I responded. I said, Boise State in some years, maybe an Appalachian State, maybe a San Diego State. And there are a few other teams that could potentially play in there. But I'm, I'm not so sure. The strange Central Michigan team? No. Western. We're not the that row, the far. Row, row, row the boat, Western the Michigan. Row the boat team, yeah. We're not all that far removed from Southern Miss being ranked. Different circumstances right. now, but still. I mean, Northern Illinois in the Orange Bowl a few years ago. You don't remember that? Kind of. Who coached uh, that team? Uh, I have to go back and look. I don't remember off the top of my head. I just wonder if giving a the group of five a guaranteed spot in the playoff would actually be the impetus for some group of five teams maybe investing a little bit more in college football, in their programs and their facilities, if they would be able to do that. Either that uh, or we would learn that they don't belong. Well, and, and Will followed it up with, he believes the group of five would be better served to have their own style playoff. I don't disagree with that either. I just don't think they're... It doesn't appear that there's been much appetite for that among group of five athletics directors. Like, they're not ready to concede that. And I understand that. I understand. We would learn uh, quickly, Wayne in though. Jackson County says go to six teams and give the top two a first-round bye. I don't like giving a team a bye on the way to the national championship. I know they do it in the NFL. I get it. And wouldn't... Why? You're only talking about eight teams. 
Yeah, no, no. I'm go win three games. I'm for the A team. I, I just, I'm not necessarily against a bye, but eight would be better. John in Hardeman, Tennessee, says both times the Eli Manning-led Giants won the Super Bowl, they finished the regular season nine and seven. NFL's just a different animal. Shouldn't you try to more emulate it? Because your product right now is the NBA on steroids with worth, worse officiating. Rudy says, let's be honest, bandwagon fans typically pick winning teams. You will always have viewership, even in lower-seeded matchups. Okay, It's all about brands. Brands drive numbers. Uh, C- Cinderella in the NCAA tournament, like that's cute for a couple weekends, but I promise you the CBS executives do not want George Mason making a Final Four. Agreed. Well, and with the NCAA tournament, I've I've always said we love Cinderella on the first weekend. Cinderella needs to leave the party though when you get to the Sweet Sixteen or the Elite Eight. Why? What do I care about television ratings? We don't, but the people that make no, these... no, I, 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 I'm not talking about from a television standpoint. I'm talking about from the standpoint of I want to watch Blue Bloods in the Final Four. Jason says nobody complained when Butler made the basketball Final Four. Then beat Loyola Chicago. Shouldn't you? Yeah. Or Fresno won the College World Series. College football could use some new blood at the top. Butler's a little different, Jason. I'm not as against Cinderella. Like I thought what Illinois-Chicago did was remarkable. It's not like they cakewalked their way through there. Raleigh in Oxford says, let's wait and see what Memphis does to Penn State and then revisit this conversation. Yeah, I mean, UCF beat Auburn, but that was a four-loss Auburn team. I just – we won't know unless it happens, but, I mean, use your eyes and ask yourself what LSU would do to a Memphis team that struggled to beat four and eight Ole Miss. There was somebody a few minutes ago that suggested that um, don't – that the, the the six auto bids get the top six seeds, and then the seven seed and the eight seed are the two at large teams, as opposed to seeding them one through eight, where a Georgia would be the five seed, as opposed to being either the seven or the eight. If you did that this year, that would still have LSU one, Ohio State two, Clemson three, Oklahoma four, Oregon would be the five. Memphis would be the six, and then you would have Georgia as the seven and Baylor as the eight. And in that scenario, you would have LSU against Baylor, Ohio State against Georgia, Clemson against Memphis, and Oklahoma against Oregon. Again, I think those would be fun games and people would watch them. And it would generate more revenue. I'm I'm all for more good college football. I mean, Memphis, Clemson. Okay, that's probably tough. Will and you poor says Clemson and Memphis would be a bloodbath. Yeah, you're probably right. And in that scenario, you could make the argument that being the three seed, because that would normally be pitted against the um, the group of five automatic champion is a better, a, a bigger advantage than being the one seat. I mean, would you rather be Clemson playing Memphis in round one or LSU playing Baylor or Ohio State playing Georgia? 
Well, the way Georgia's people offense that have looked, you'd probably want to play Georgia. Yeah, maybe. Cody in Guntown says Sweet 16 like the Final Four. More teams have a chance at winning a national championship equals more viewers to me. I mean, it's hard for me to believe that college football ever gets to 16. I mean, where a team's got to win four games to win a national championship. I mean, if that happens to be a team that played in a conference title game, then who? Well, there's 17 games. That's the kicker. They would have to remove the conference title game. See, I don't think you have to, though, with an 18 playoff. I think no. your conference championship games mean even more if you go to an 18 playoff because winning the conference championship game gets you in. I mean, the, the SEC championship game has always been a really, really, really big deal. Pac-12 championship game hasn't been that big of a deal. Just look at the audiences. And not a, people, a lot of people show up for it. If the winner was automatically going to the college football playoff, would that generate more interest? I would think. Charlie says, in 10 years, would a group of five champion ever advance to the second round? Or, or the, the highest ranked group of five team? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, if you catch the right matchup, I mean, you know, UCF team from a couple of years ago with uh, McKenzie, what, what was his name, quarterback? Milton. McKenzie Milton. I mean, that was a good UCF team. Wouldn't it be crazy to think that they could have won a playoff game? Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. A couple of segments with you left on this Wednesday afternoon. Players of the Year, and really more specifically of the Year awards, announced today by the SEC. Offensive Player of the Year, Joe Burrow. He's going to need a new trophy case, by the way. All the awards going to Joe Burrow. Right? I mean, he's going to win the Heisman. He's already won SEC Offensive Player of the Year. Probably win the Davey O'Brien. Probably win the Maxwell Trophy. Probably win the uh, Manning Trophy now. Johnny Unitas Golden Arm Award. That's pretty awesome. Special Teams Player of the Year, Jalen Waddell from Alabama. Freshman of the Year, Bo Nix from Auburn. The Blocking Trophy goes to Andrew Thomas of Georgia. And Ed Ogeron, SEC Coach of the Year. What a remarkable journey for Ed Ogeron. You know the, the thing that is most impressive to me is Ed Ogeron has been able to get that team up every week. You know, one of one of the like the all time college football cliches is, you know, a team can't get up every single week. They really have. 
There's not been a hiccup this year for LSU. And a lot of times with LSU, the hiccup comes in one of those non-conference games, you know, relatively early in the year. They scored 55 in the season opener against Georgia Southern, and everybody said, "Woo, look at that offense. And then that highly anticipated matchup with Texas in Week 2, that was a fun game on the road, 45-38. to And then Northwestern State is a spot where LSU typically would go, nah, whatever. Well, they went out and scored 65. And then they score 66 against Vanderbilt. And then Utah State's another one of those games where it's like, okay, that's a decent program. They got decent players. LSU just kind of ho-hum around. Well, they only scored 42, but they only gave up six. Then they score 42 against Florida. And then they score 36 against Mississippi State. That was, in terms of score, one of the closer games of the year. What, a 23-point win? And they kick field goals on their first three drives in that game? First couple of drives? You had a close game with Auburn. That was such a good Auburn defense. But it was closer. It got close late. They score 46 against Alabama, finally get that monkey off their back. They give up some points against Ole Miss, but again, it's a night where they put 58 on the board. They get to play their second team and beat Arkansas by three touchdowns. They score 50 against A&M, and then they just boat race Georgia in the SEC championship game. Isn't it remarkable how consistent LSU has been from week one through the SEC championship game? That really stands out to me. And yes, there have been some question marks about their defense along the way, but they've gotten healthier and they've gotten better. So so for a defense that was questioned after the Ole Miss game, where they gave up 400 and something yards rushing and allowed Ole Miss to score 37 points, they gave up 20 against Arkansas, but that game included Arkansas scoring 14 in the fourth quarter when it had long been decided. So they led 51-6 to going into the fourth quarter against Arkansas. That's not right, 49-6. to And in the last two games of the year against decent teams, and better than decent, good teams, a good A&M and a really good Georgia, I gave up a combined 17 points. And that's the reason that Joe Burrow is the Offensive Player of the Year and Ed Ogeron is the Coach of the Year. It is time for On This Day in Sports History. This moment in sports history is brought to you by Acoustic Wave in Ridgeland. You can get wave therapy to treat many orthopedic conditions, including heel spurs, tennis elbow, golfer's elbow, shoulder tendonitis, and more. It's easy. No incisions, no scars, and no downtime. You can even go back to work the very same day. Contact Acoustic Wave today at AcousticWaveMS.com, or you can give them a call, 855-563-6100. 855-563-6100. That is for Acoustic Wave of Mississippi. So, Borky... On this day in sports history, 
Where do we go today? In 1951, Joe DiMaggio uh, officially announced his retirement from uh, professional baseball. And I learned today that uh, baseball writers have always been stuffy and miserable. He was a third ballot Hall of Famer. Whew. What are you so doing to- on the first two ballots with his career? What are you doing not admitting him into the Hall of Fame? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe there were some other really good guys and there just wasn't enough room to get Joe D in the first time around or the second time around. One thing I noticed is that a lot of guys don't see, like particularly writers don't see some certain players play, like National League versus American League, which is kind of unique to some other sports. So you might have bias against guys you saw 18 times a year versus didn't see at all over six, five, six, seven years. Is that bias or prejudice? Uh, we should ask the text line. Grammar, <laughs> grammar police was beating us up earlier today. Not excusing it, but just observation. Yeah. There might be something to that. Joe DiMaggio, 325 career average, 2,214 hits, 361 home runs, drove in 1,537, 13-time All-Star every single year of his career, Nine-time World Series champion. In a 13-year career, Joe DiMaggio won nine World Series. He was a three-time MVP in the American League, two-time batting champ, two times he led the American League in home runs, twice he also led the AL in RBIs, and had a 56-game hit streak that stands today. Joe DiMaggio on this day in 1951 announced his retirement from Major League Baseball. This moment in sports history has been brought to you by Acoustic Wave in Ridgeland. AcousticWaveMS.com or on the phone at 855-563-6100. Get that wave therapy to treat your painful conditions with no downtime. And you can even go back to work on the very same day. Joe DiMaggio. What a career. And a lot of times when you think about guys like that, you think only a 13-year career. I mean, that's a great run. But there are a lot of guys that put up those type numbers that played for a lot longer. Well, didn't he have a season or two robbed? He retired in 51. That's World War II-ish. That's right. That's a good point. That is a uh, that's a good point. Um, mentioned it earlier. I guess the biggest off-season acquisition in Major League Baseball, you got the winter meetings happening in San Diego right now. The New York Yankees, this was announced earlier today, they reached a deal yesterday with Garrett Cole. The... Yeah, arguably best pick, pitcher or second best pitcher, or maybe third best pitcher in baseball last year. You think he was the best? Yeah. Not even close? Yeah. Verlander won the Cy Young. Okay, then from July on, he was definitely the best pitcher on earth. 20-5 and five last year with a 2.5 ERA. Signs a nine-year, 300, what was it, Borgie, 324? Yeah, 324 over nine years. By the way, uh, DiMaggio did... Uh, enlist in the Army 
uh, on February 17th of 43, but apparently he was, well, one, he was released on a medical discharge for chronic stomach ulcers, but uh, his service was described as comfortable as a soldier's life could be, spent most of his time enlisted playing for baseball teams and exhibition games against fellow uh, professional baseball players who were also in the service. He got special privileges and ate so well from an athlete-only diet that he actually gained 10 pounds <laughs> during World War II. By the way, Rippy, a little off on your history dates. World War II ended in 1945. Well, I didn't say anything different. I said if he retired in 1951, his career would have been oh, yes. altered D- by during, World War II. During that time. I knew World War II didn't extend into the 50s, but thank you. <laughs> just, just, just making sure. <laughs> Uh, perhaps the text line has already corrected that just to uh, to be sure you're right. Uh, Did that come from the text line? No. Oh. Stan and Ripley says, Cross, are you putting up $250 to win $1 that Burrow wins the Heisman? Those are the latest odds. Uh, and I probably won't be making that play. Sports Talk Mississippi. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.